Welcome to the Fellowship College Podcast. This is the end of an era. Well, Eileen just informed us that she's no longer wanting to be on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> just because they won't give me my icebreakers in the beginning of the episode. She, she has given us an ultimatum that if we, if we don't resume icebreakers on the podcast that she's going to pull like mm-hmm. what they're doing in Hollywood right now. And oh. do the a writer's sh- strike. The writer's strike. That's right. She's like, you're going to get no content. She knows, she knows the power she has. That <laughs> most, she knows that most of our listeners are here for her. Absolutely not. And so she knows that if she's out, most of our college students will be out. So. I just, I need you guys to, to write in and let us know, hey, I'm pro, pro uh, icebreaker. icebreaker or I'm against icebreaker. Um, just let us know. We would love to know how you guys are feeling. Have you missed the icebreakers this season? Because I feel a void without that. We've had like it. organic icebreakers though. You know what I mean? Yeah. Some conversations that just come up. Okay. Just Speaking natural. of icebreakers, have y'all actually had to like go out and break ice before? <laughs> <laughs> it's the season. Farmer book out. Because <laughs> it's, it's coming. And in those situations, I'm real thankful for icebreakers <laughs> because that ice gets thick on the pond. What is an icebreaker? You get like a pickaxe. And you go out to like water troughs and ponds whenever it freezes over and you have to literally break a hole through the ice in different spots. So that way the animals can come drink from it. But if you're bougie, you have like a heater in the- the Yeah, you can put those in the stock tanks, but the pond, that doesn't really work. In California, one time I went to the grocery store and got a bag of ice and it was like kind of all stuck together and I had to use a hammer to break it. Yeah. So I I basically know exactly what you're talking about. Right, right. Nice. That, those are our icebreakers ice break, ice in, in California. <laughs> well, sad news. Well, good news is Eileen's actually not leaving. Pra- <laughs> yeah, she's Josh, Josh was lying. Praise God. She's teasing. She just she just signed <laughs> she just signed a commitment for another five years, which is great. Oh wow! Glad to have her. I didn't know about that. <laughs> yeah, glad to have her for another five years at, at least. <clears throat> um, but the sad news is this is actually our last episode of the season. It's kind of, it always flies by. Mm-hmm. It kind of feels like a grind at first. And then you, you wake up and it's Thanksgiving and then, and then it's over. Wow. That was really uh, insightful. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. The only good news is we'll, 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 t- we'll do another poll to see if people want our famous Q and a episodes. Mm, yep. You know, we can do it. We can do a Q and a Q and a episode specifically about uh, like following Jesus, mm-hmm. what what that looks like and kind of the things that we've talked about this year. And so that could be, that could be really fun. Mm-hmm. And so here's where we're ending. But before we got to talk about where we're ending, here's where it all began this, <laughs> this season. We talked about the, our whole goal this season was that you would know Jesus better and learn what it looks like to follow him or in whatever context that you're in right now. And so we started with who is Jesus? What, is it, what does it look like to spend time with him? How do we become like him? And as we start to become like him, how does that change the ways that we interact with other Christians, other believers? And then we'll end today with what does that look like when it comes to unbelievers or people that aren't following Jesus? 
how does that look? And so we talked about this last episode, but I think it's worth repeating. Why is there a distinction between how we interact with Christians and non-Christians? I mean, the difference is someone who knows Jesus and is therefore, as a Christian, claiming that they're laying down their life to follow him versus someone who's never made that claim. So I would never go up to a friend who is a non-believer and hold them to the standard of someone who's following Jesus. So the conversations that I'm having with girls that that I'm mentoring are going to look very different than conversations that I'm going to be having with my friends that aren't following Jesus, right? Like I, I am not going to come up to um, my friend who doesn't know the Lord and say, man, like you should be doing X, Y, Z. Like, I can't believe that you're living your life this way and blah, blah, blah. No, I'm not going to do that. They're not following Jesus. They're not claiming to follow Jesus. I'm not going to hold them to that standard. But if I have someone in my life who does claim to be a follower of Jesus, then when I see them doing stuff that's contrary to what Jesus calls us to do, I'm going to say, Hey, you, you stood before everyone, especially, I mean, I have this conversation whenever people um, get baptized at this church, you know, like you being baptized here are standing in front of the congregation, claiming to be a follower of Jesus and sharing what the Lord has done in your life. So when you're doing something that's contrary to what it means to follow Jesus, we're going to hold you accountable. And that's what we should be doing as the body of Christ. Yeah. God has always called his people to live in a set apart way from those who are not loyal to him, who don't follow him, maybe don't even know about him. And that lifestyle um, paired with some like signs type things like baptism or, you know, Old Testament circumcision and things like that are the, um, like the parameters that sets apart that distinguishes. These are the people who are loyal to God, who are faithfully following him. And these are the people who are not. And we're called to live a certain way because it's in God's design for the abundant life that Jesus says he wants to give us. We actually experience that when we live like that, but also because the main reason that we were created, the role to play is this reality of imaging God. It's reflecting God. And so there has to be a distinction. If we're going to, if somebody looks at us and looks at the way we live, talk, interact with each other, uh, they should see God in that. And then for those who are not following God, by nature, you, you probably shouldn't see that. And so that just creates like a natural distinction between the fact that there are those who who love God and follow him, who know him, and then those who do not. And yeah, those, those people are treated differently, um, both from us interacting with other believers and then us, like we're getting in, into this week, interacting with uh, people who don't follow Jesus. Yeah, that's really good. And so before we talk about the ways that Christians should interact with unbelievers it's probably it's probably important to to kind of talk about some of the ways that we've seen this go poorly so what are ways that you have seen christians interact with with non-christians in, in a way that that isn't wise i mean the the most prevalent one in our day and age i would say is the topic of homosexuality and um just growing up seeing the church just hammering people part of who are part of the LGBTQ community. And I mean, even just saying things like, man, like, like you're going to hell and like, like, you know, you're just such a, a sinner and blah, blah, and, and just being so hateful. And 
I'm sorry for that. Like that is not how we should be treating people who are made in the image of God. Every human being is made in the image of God. And, and that is so hurtful to do that. If someone doesn't understand the gospel, why would they be living a life that is is following that? Like what? So that just makes me so mad. <laughs> um, so I think that's an area that we, we have taken this one specific um, thing and we have completely just brought it above all other brokenness, all other sin. And we have just emphasized this one sin. And, and we have like said that that is the worst thing um, versus one humbling ourselves and understanding, hey, I myself am a sinner <laughs> and I have my own crap that I am, am working through. And instead of, and, and not coming alongside these people and sharing Jesus with them, and so I just think that just the topic um, or just the way that Christians have interacted with people in the LGBTQ community in the past have just, it's just been really hurtful. Yeah. And I would even broaden it to say anything to do with sexual ethics or sexual identity, like any of those things, the church, the church has like really botched it. And, and it goes back to what we just talked about. The reason why there is a distinction is because like us as Christians have said, this is the standard. This is how we believe God has created society in order to thrive. We actually do think that this is the better message. We do think this is the way that's going to lead to abundant joy, contentment, peace, what what uh, Jesus would call the good life or the blessed life. We, we actually believe that as Christians, but we should not be surprised that that non-Christians aren't held, they're not following that, that same standard. And so where, where the church has really botched it, as you're, as you're saying, is our, our, first, our first plan of action when we're addressing unbelievers has often been hellfire and brimstone. Condemnation. Condemnation. And, and I just don't see that from Jesus when he's talking to, uh, to men and women who are living lifestyles that are counter to the kingdom. I don't see that with Paul when he's talking to, to non-believers. And so what else have y'all seen? Is there any other ways that you've seen uh, the church kind of miss the mark on this? Yeah, the... Because you know, the reality of Jesus's teaching is he says, repent because the kingdom's now here. And he does that in all the ways that y'all just said. And a lot of it comes from this, like knowing the needs of the people and having this compassion for them. And I think usually in our lives, the where that plays out the most is whenever we have relationships with people and it's, there's like endless stories of calling people to repentance, whether it's kind of the hellfire brimstone attitude or not, but with no relationship there at all with anybody. And maybe not even the, uh, like a desire to even try to build relationship. It's more just like, you know, yeah, my neighbor's obviously not following Jesus and they do all this type of, you know, whatever, um, that's technically wicked. Uh, and anytime we talk about 
spiritual stuff. I'm going to just call them to repent, but then I have no relationship with them. Um, it's, it's just kind of like, a, there's like a laziness almost that I've definitely seen. Um, especially when you think about like the people with picket signs and yeah, stuff like that corners. Totally. So, and you know, there's a genuine call to repent that, you know, needs to go out, but whenever that's like the main way, and there is no relationship building on the front end, or even, you know, I'm going to pursue this person and, and really want to develop this friendship because I care about them. That's usually where the call to repentance takes hold. Um, now, I think that especially in college, that demographic probably would fall on the more often on the complete other side to yeah. where there is no distinction between somebody who's a follower of Jesus, quote unquote, and somebody who is not. And it is a, and even interacting with people who are living in such a way where they're denying Jesus and all these things, there is no attempt to share the truth and call repentance because of a fear of impeding on what they believe, hurting the relationship, maybe prioritizing. I even have a relationship with somebody over telling them any type of truth. Uh, and so it's the exact opposite side of the spectrum. Yeah. And I would say that for sure, I mean, just the past two years, um, m way more conversations and interactions that I've had on campus, people would fall into that category. I think the culture that we've grown up in generally, uh, especially if like us or like all post-college and our parents and that demographic, um, on a large scale, it's, it is that other end to where it's like the picket sign thing and it's like really intense and causing a lot of real harm and hurt. But right now, Generally, I think the lean because of where our culture is at on a broad scale, the messaging, the doing your own thing type stuff will creep in and actually it's kind of swinged over at the opposite. It's there aren't really hard lines and I don't really want to step in into like hard line differences. So the way you interact with these people who are not following Jesus is just the same as you interact with people who are following Jesus. And that's because y'all don't look any different. Mm. Yeah. And if you think about the nature of repentance, it's this turning away from something and turning towards something else. And where, where the people with the picket signs get it wrong is they're saying, turn away from this sin, turn away from whatever lifestyle. And there's a lot of, like you're saying, highly condemnation in that, but there's not really much, Hey, no turn towards mm -hmm. this better thing. It's just, like, it's just, you suck, you're going to hell, you know, you're a sinner. Yeah. Whereas what you're saying, the our college demographic, there's not even this, hey, turn from anything. It's it's more of this just, no, like you can kind of just do the same, do the same stuff, be who you are. And like, if you want to have, have Jesus on the side and sprinkle Jesus in there wherever you want, that's, you know, that's fine. Just whatever, whatever charcuterie board of faith looks, <laughs> looks like for you, like go ahead and pick and choose whatever, whatever you want. And there's almost no standard mm -hmm. at all. It's just, yeah, pick and choose what, whatever you think is, is good for you. Yeah. And for our college students listening, don't hear me say that that's like the norm for everybody. Like 
our congregation has so like huge, huge amount of college students who are living this distinct life, following Jesus and loving unbelievers very well. I see it literally every day. It's incredible. Uh, however, the broad culture on a college campus, especially in the area of the world that we live or the area of the country that we live, I think does fall into that. And you have to do that. Type. Everybody's very aware of the hurt that's come from the first things that we said and a reaction to that, I think, can be swinging into that second thing that I just said. So knowing yeah. that both of those are in, exist uh, and not falling into it is obviously the goal. So don't hear me say that that's everybody. I think the general culture is probably that. Yeah, that's that's really good. And so if those are ways we've kind of missed it, let's kind of start to give a, almost to the best of our ability a pathway or a structure for how Christians should interact with with unbelievers as we talked about last week paul does this has this really good balance of when he's writing letters to christians yeah he's not afraid to to call out sin we talked about that last week but when we look at his what we would call maybe a sermon right he gives these gospel messages all throughout the book of acts often to gentiles who believe in many different gods and don't believe in and Yahweh and especially don't follow Jesus. And so when he's addressing them, he has a lot of different tact to it. There's less calling out what we would call sin, uh, but and there's more this proclamation of, hey, here's who Jesus is, here's what he he did, here's what what how that changes the scope of human history and here's what the resurrection means for the world. And so let's talk a little bit about, about that. How, how do we incorporate that when we're talking to uh, unbelievers? I mean, Acts 17 is beautiful. Um, it really is. It is the evangelistic passage. Um, it's brilliant. It is brilliant. If I could do ministry like Paul, um, that could be cool. You're like the Paul of fellowship. Uh, that is the falsest statement. <laughs> Most false. Shut up. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, that, no, it's, it is most false. You're right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's, it is cool to just kind of see what Paul is doing. And in Acts 17, when he's in Athens, he, it's not like he's, he's coming to these people and he's like, you're the worst, condemn, blah, blah, blah. And he's also not like, oh, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, you guys are kind of right, but but there's something that's a little bit more right. So real, like, real quick. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Real quick, you set a little context. So okay. he's in <laughs> Athens. Athens is known for their, their temples, their gods, and the people of Athens worship almost an un- like, uncountable number mm -hmm. of gods. And so, sorry, he steps in, he steps in there. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. Um, thank you. Yeah. Well, first of all, Paul was just chased out of Thessalonica. Like this yeah. boy, he's doing ministry. People are chasing him out. So let it be known that if you are living the way that Jesus would have you live, it is going to go against culture. So just know that from the get go, that you are going to feel tension with culture and with your beliefs. And if you don't, you, you should pause and ask yourself, am I living like Jesus wants me to live? So just that thought. Um, but yeah, Paul. Luckily we live in a Christian nation though, right? <laughs> um, How do you really feel, Eileen? 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The Bible Belt, I, I could go off. Um, anyway, Athens, yes, lots of gods. They're worshiping. They're, I mean, these people like to sit around. I think I can't see what verse it is right now, but they like to just kind of sit around and, and jibber jabber about different ideas. And you got it, Josh. So. Yeah, it's so Acts 17, uh, starting really in verse 16, all the, all the way to the end of the chapter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it like they, these people are just sitting around kind of gossiping, kind of just talking about different ideas and philosophies and blah, blah. And Paul, what he doesn't do um, is the one ditch condemn them fire and brimstone. And then the other ditch, like, yeah, like you're, yeah, you're kind of oh, right. Yeah, just, oh, you worship a lot of gods. I've got another <laughs> God to add to your, yeah. to your smorgasbord, your charcuterie board. Yes, of. of course. Yeah. He doesn't do that. What he does instead is he, he points out, Hey guys, like you are putting your beliefs, your faith in things that they're not real. And so he's pointing out these idols that they have in their lives. And he's saying, but, but let me tell you about, about the real God. Let me tell you about Jesus. Um, and these people are like, oh my gosh, crazy. And then they bring him up for the Areopagus. And, and now he's preaching to this wider audience and, um, and he's, he's sharing and he's like, look, like, like the God that, that, is the real God, he can't fit in temples. Like he's not in these these figurines. Like like our God is the creator of everything. Um, and he said, he he talks about, they have a, a temple to an unknown God. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he almost uses that and says, hey, you have this temple to an unknown God. What if I told you that the God who created all this actually made himself mm-hmm. known? Yeah. Yeah. And so he, Paul is interacting with the culture. And I think that's really important for us to remember too, when we are talking to our non-believing friends, we can't just be in our own Christian bubble. We should not like it. You should not only be friends with Christians. Mm. You should not only be interacting with people who claim Christianity um, because if you're doing that, you're not living out the the role that the Lord has for you, which is to go and make disciples. You can't make a disciple of someone who is already claiming. I mean, well, okay, you 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 should be reaching out to people who who are not believers and sharing the gospel and living on mission. Um, and so the way that Paul is doing this, he's interacting with the culture. At one point, he's quoting their philosophers, and so he he knows what's going on. He's he's, not, lis- he's listening mm-hmm, to the culture. That's good. I think yeah. that's so important. Yeah, and so that's just those are ways that we can just reflect and see. Okay, this is what Paul is doing. How can I do that? Where I'm at? How can I be aware of the people I'm surrounded with and who I'm I'm sharing these things with? How can I better understand what they're thinking and the ideas that they're believing. Yeah, that's really good. And so if you think about whatever context you're in right now and the people around you who aren't following Jesus, here's a crazy idea. What if you had a conversation with them and your entire goal was just to listen? That would be, would that be wild? If you're, there's no agenda besides Hey, I I like this person. This this is a person that I would I would want to be friends with. Hey, I would love to just hear hear about them, hear what makes them tick, hear what some of their dreams and goals and and desires are, hear what what they believe like. Hey, here's my purpose. Here's why we're here on 
here on earth, here on this planet. Here's what I value. And not again, not just as this way to like Jesus juke them, but because you actually care about them and you actually take an interest in them. And then what, as you, as you hear these things, start to contextualize the gospel towards those, those things. And, and what we believe is that, that we really do have the, the greater message. And I know for some people that aren't Christians, they, that they're just going to roll their eyes at that. But like, we believe that, that this message of the gospel, what Jesus resurrection and new kingdom means is, is life changing. And it, that, that all should, should have it. Mm-hmm. And so as we're, we're doing that, we're, we're, we should have this desire. How I want, I see that these people have the, these desires and these needs and these wants, and they're searching for something. How, how can I help them see that, hey, their deepest desires, their deepest needs, their deepest wants are actually found in Jesus? Mm. I think all of that starts with checking your posture too. Um, and like not, like not slouching. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, <laughs> I know I like, I, I've had people, I hear this all the time. Um, you know, Oh, how, how do I share the gospel with my roommate? How do I share the gospel with my coworker? Um, and I think a question to ask yourself before you do that is why do you want to share the gospel with them? And that may sound like the dumbest question, <laughs> but truly I think in our Christian Bible Belt culture, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes we can fall into this um, idea that, oh, if someone's a not, like almost this idea of like us versus them, like Christians versus non-Christians. Um, and that is not the posture to have whatsoever. It's, hey, every human being is created in the image of God. Not everyone is a child of God, but every, every human is created in the image of God. And because of that, um, Lord, how do I see this person as you see them? How do I love them? How do I not see them as a project, as someone to be fixed, but Lord, I've seen what you've done in my life and I, I know that you are are the one that I am meant to be connected to. Like you are the reason that I am here. I want other people to know that. And so that's why out of love for them, out of love for you, I'm going to go share that with people rather than, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm right. Let me go convert a bunch of people. And I, I don't think that's like, it, that, that is a, a mindset that people just have, but I think almost the the um, the taste of that can kind of be in the back of our minds. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, and and I think when we a lot of this kind of gets pulled into the topic of evangelism, mm-hmm. and I really do think there's two different types of evangelism, and I actually do think there's importance to to both of them. Where the one the one that we're kind of mainly talking about today is this long-term, we're building connections, we're becoming f- actual friends, we're expanding our community community to invite in people mm-hmm. who don't look like us, who don't think like us, who don't believe the same things we do to genuinely get to know them and to love them mm-hmm. and hopefully point them to, to Jesus. Um, I, that's the kind of evangelism we're talking about right now. There is another type of evangelism that is also important. You can call it one-off evangelism or short-term evangelism. Imagine you're on a plane with, with somebody and neither of y'all have your headphones in, which would be, I don't know, does that even happen anymore? Probably not. I walk onto the plane with my headphones on. Yeah, yeah. 
Ugh, and, bad Christian. And, uh, <laughs> I don't because I have two kids now. And so <laughs> plane rides are just miserable. Um, but let's say you sit down and neither of you have your headphones on and you start, start a conversation and you're like, I will never see this person again. We're talking, we're getting to know each other. And you're like, Hey, I, I think I have an opportunity to, to share the gospel with them. I think that is beautiful and powerful and God works in crazy ways in those, in those situations as well. And so I do think there, there are different types of evangelism. The one that we're kind of talking about today is this, Hey, this long-term building relationships, loving the people that are in your, in your circles, or at least expanding your circles to bring more people in. So what I'm hearing is that one of the ways that we interact with unbelievers as followers of Jesus is to have genuine friendships with people and engage with them in the truth about the gospel and not fall into a, what I call a holy huddle mentality where I'm only interacting with believers and my view towards people who don't follow Jesus is highly, like you said, they're the other Mm -hmm. and I need to get them over here. And then that just predicates every interaction that I have with them. That's good. Which maybe, maybe be worthwhile to talk about how Jesus handled that tension, how Jesus handled being with his disciples, yet also going out and, and building relationships with those who looked a lot different than him. Yeah. You know, for Jesus, whenever we read through the gospel stories, um, you, you see him interacting with people who are obviously in some way not following him, not being faithful to God in some capacity. And the way that he's speaking about it, you usually see either people he just calls and what the culture would call sinners. So, you know, you have like, especially if it's a Gentile who just doesn't follow Yahweh at all. And he does his own thing, like a Roman centurion type. Uh, you have people who are living in a way that maybe they're Jewish and maybe, you know, they do believe in follow Yahweh, but they're living in a way like somebody who is a prostitute. That's just like completely not following the law for whatever reason that might be. And then you also have people, which they always get hit on religious leaders who are living in a way that seems perfectly in line with the law, but it's actually hypocritical, antithetical to it. And he's calling all of them to repentance in some capacity. Um, Focusing in on the people who we might see as more specifically just non-believers in some capacity would be those like Gentile non-Jew types or people who are just living lifestyles that are just completely not following the law again for their context. And what Jesus does is that he is, you know, as he's teaching, he's, he's leading his, the 12 and then all these other people who are following him. He's spending time with those who are both faithful to Yahweh as they normally are, but now they're following Jesus as kind of starting to catch on to that. He is God and he is the Messiah. And as he's doing that, he's inviting in those other people who would fall outside that category, the sinners, the Gentiles to listen about the kingdom and then to engage with them in a way that is very personal and personal and very, uh, what would have been like kind of absolutely not like, don't do that with them. So whenever you read stories of him going and, you know, eating dinner with a bunch of tax collectors, especially the religious Jewish leaders are like, what 
are you doing? You know, like if you are holy and you actually follow Yahweh, you do not associate with those who don't. They're obviously in rebellion because they've turned their back and went to Rome and all these other things. And Jesus's response is, hey, God literally came to bring those who need spiritual help who are not following Jesus, those who don't know him into the kingdom. That is what I am doing. For those who say that you're in the kingdom, you don't need that. I'm going to spend time with them. And so he has this group that he's teaching and that he's spending time with, and he's showing them how to do that exact same thing. Eventually he sends them out Mm -hmm. to go engage with some of those who would also fall into the non-believer category. Uh, I think just for Bible reading, it is good to be aware that a lot of those people that he's interacting with, um, like, cause we, we today are like, okay, we have our believing friends, right? Which are, is hopefully our tightest community. Like we, they know everything about us. We share, well, a certain amount of people and we share like fellowship with them and things like that. And then we have all these other people in our lives who are friends, coworkers who are not following Jesus for Jesus, because he's an Israelite generally like everybody who is an Israelite, if you're following the law, would be considered quote unquote, a believer, right? Like they're being faithful to Yahweh. He's teaching them about the fullness of what that looks like in him now. And so he's doing a lot of correcting things and showing more scope as to what the kingdom's all about. And then there are some instances where it's an obvious non Yahweh follower that he is talking to. And so maybe don't apply like every interaction that he's having with people just laid over to our own lives because it's not like a one-to-one translation necessarily, but those who are obviously not following God, not faithful to God, Jesus is spending a ton of time with on a relational friendship level. And in doing that, he's telling them about the kingdom. Yeah, that's really good. And so I would say that the main takeaways today, if you're like, okay, how do I actually apply this and live this out? I would say, the main takeaways are expand your community. Don't just hang out with people that look like you, talk like you, believe the same things. Invite people in. Uh, practice genuine hospitality. Listen to the culture. Listen to what what the culture is talking about, what they're uh, desiring, what their, what their values are. And take a genuine interest in it and actually love those people authentically and then find ways to to point them to Jesus. Find ways to contextualize the gospel to show them that the things that they're actually desiring are are found or meet their fulfillment in in the person of Jesus. And then trust God to to produce the fruit as you, as you plant those seeds. And so, if you can start to do some of those things, again, a lot of this takes takes time and relationships take time. And so like just continue to take one act of faithfulness and obedience at a time. And I, and I think, and I pray that you'll start to see genuine fruit be produced in the lives of the people around you. And so there we go. That's it for the, for the semester. We do have some exciting news though. If you've made it this far in the podcast, all three of you who have made it to the end of this episode, we're giving you a little teaser for what's coming next season. Who wants to do the honors? What are we talking about 
in the spring of 2024. We are going to be diving into all things church history and what we believe as far as how did how did the Bible become the thing that we now have in our hands? Why are there denominations? Why are there certain theological beliefs and how all those things got developed? Uh, a guy who uh, spent a lot of time discipling me and a group of my friends uh, has drilled a phrase into my brain, and it's this. What we believe determines how we behave. Mm. And one of the best ways to figure out what we believe and why is to look throughout history and how that has informed it. Uh, there will be things that we'll look at within the first 400 years of the church that just get repeated throughout all of history. And if you can spot those things, mm -hmm. you can spot them now. Yep. It is essential, in my opinion, to beginning to deeply more and more follow Jesus and understand just the ways of God. And we're going to be taking a look at that through kind of a timeline of history since Pentecost. Yeah. And so we'll be starting with Acts chapter two and working our way up until present day. It's going to be so fun. Be on the lookout for a surprise Q&A episode coming to you in the next few weeks. And so until then, grace, grace and peace. peace.